Today we are continuing in our book of Ephesians, the series we've been on forever. Um, We're in the last chapter, which means it's going to come to an end. I know that's sad for everyone. And um, on the back of your programs, there's an outline. You can fill out those blanks. All the verses for what we'll be reading are listed there. If you have a Bible, that's great. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table. You can keep those. Um, There's something powerful about reading the Bible. You can resist it, but if you apply it to your life, it will radically change you to be more like Jesus. And that is a cool thing. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we have to be in your presence and, Lord, to know that you're here to encourage us to become more like you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here as well to, uh, if we allow you, to work in our lives and to convict us and to encourage us and to point us to Jesus Christ. Um, we're asking for that to happen. For people that are searching for you, have questions about you, I pray that um, they'll just sense your presence and your love in a very personal way today. We considered a tremendous opportunity to be together with, with people, that people that have put their faith in you, that can encourage us, Lord. We thank you for your word that encourages us, and may we be challenged this morning in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Andy was building a new home, and uh, as often is the case when you have construction, you have delays, you have problems with subcontractors, um, suppliers, schedules just kind of go off the rails. Nothing, uh, nothing seems to go right. And um, the men that were working on Andy's house, man, they were kind of grouchy. It was hot and humid. And uh, there was one other problem. The, the Portageon stunk. Uh, is this is the case when it's hot and humid. Portageons just, you know, they, it, they don't, it just doesn't smell good especially this one, and had not been cleaned in a long time. And um, suddenly, out of nowhere, the crew that was working on the house heard this blaring music coming from a truck down the street. And so they all kind of turned around, and it got their attention. And um, that truck ended up pulling to a quick stop in front of the house. And uh, the guy that came out wasn't the regular maintenance man for the, for the port john Instead, it was this big, burly-looking guy. He had a big smile, and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And he greeted the crew. He said, howdy, and he smiled and grabbed his stuff out of the truck and headed enthusiastically towards the port john Just before stepping in, he yelled back to the crew, hey, the guy that normally comes, he quit a while ago. I'm the new guy. I'm taking over. And he disappeared into the cubicle. Wasn't long after that uh, it was noisy. I mean, just it, it, it sounded like the guy must have been wrestling with a tiger inside this thing, you know. And the guys were just looking like, "Man, what's going on in there?" And um, the construction crew just kind of suspended their work for the time. Just, man, this is interesting, man. I've never seen anything like this before. And uh, it seemed like he got stuck inside the portage. John, like if I was cleaning it, I'd be in and out of there as quick as possible, but. These guys are thinking, man, what's happened to him, you know? This guy was different. And after a while, things began to smell a lot better. Uh, and Mr. Goodnatured came walking out of the port of John, still smiling. And he said, hey, the guy taking care of this for you wasn't doing a very good job. From here on out, I guarantee this will be the best it can possibly be because I'm here to serve you. Hopped in the truck, grinned, waved at the crew, 
started backing out, and one of the crew members yelled back at the dude in the truck. He says, how can you do that? I mean, why, did you, why, why do you do this? Mr. Goodnatured smiled back, and he says, oh, that's simple. You see, I work for the Lord, and I do every task as though I were doing it for him. I'll see you next week. Took off smiling, singing with everything he had. And the crowd, the crew just kind of looked at each other. Man, what's with this dude, you know? This man got got their attention. Well, this morning, as we look at this Mr. Goodnatured and the Portageon, we can can transfer that over to our own personal lives and what we do in the way of a job. And uh, this morning, as we look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, you can, you can open your Bibles or um, track along in the back of your program. We're going to read that together. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. When Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, the, the culture of that day was, uh, it was originally written to slaves and masters. Um, so this morning, we're going to kind of uh, change a few words um, with master and slave. We'll, we'll put in employee and employer, which makes it relevant uh, for each one of us. Um, God desires that whatever we do, whether we clean porta johns or whatever the case may be, we'll do it to the best of our, our ability and we'll enjoy what we're doing for the honor of the Lord. So when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, it was estimated that there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. So half the populations of the major cities of that day, cities like Rome, Corinth, and Ephesus, were slaves. And um, so when the church at Ephesus received this letter, the people there attending uh, would relate to it. They were either masters or they were slaves. And so... um, this, this mentality that it seems to have crept through our country, you know, that uh, we, we thank God it's Friday because we're done with work for the week, and now we have the weekend, um, that seems to have become very popular in our culture. In fact, there was a bumper sticker that expressed that feeling that says, I'm in no hurry, I'm on my way to work. Hopefully that's not on the back of your car. We'll go out and check the parking lot following the gathering this morning, and uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if that's you. Maybe, maybe you've got this large calendar on your desk with the, with the big red marker, you know, so when you're done with work every day, you put an X on the calendar, and then you count how many more days it is before you can have vacation. Maybe that's you. Well, if you feel that way, you're not really out of much company because surveys indicate 7 out of 10 Americans are dissatisfied with their jobs and they dread going to work. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you can identify with that. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. When you, when you read these verses, which we just did moments ago, um, you see where Christ seems to be the, the focus of this particular text. Preceding these verses, Paul talked about husbands, wives, children, parents, 
Uh, and you can see Paul's attitude that he's talking about we need to be a servant in our marriage. We need to be a servant at home. And um, now when he's talking to the church that um, we need to serve one another, which as we check this out, you may want to circle every time you see Christ or God in these verses. In verse 5, it says that we serve Christ. Verse 6, it says, as slaves of Christ. Also in verse 6, do the will of God from all your heart. Verse 7, we're working for the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord will reward us. Verse 9, the same master in heaven. So you, you can't miss it that Paul is kind of pounding at a point in these few verses that Jesus should be the center of everything we do, even at work. In fact, when you back up to Ephesians 5.21, when Paul is addressing the church that we need to further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's, he's bringing that same thought all the way into the workplace, whatever we do. And so... Because of that, we should have this mindset that because I'm a follower of Christ, I revere him. I'm no longer my own. I belong to Christ as my Lord. I must do his will. I must live my life to please him. And someday I will stand before Jesus Christ and he will reward me for my faithful obedience. This morning I was reading in Psalm 143, and that's why it's not going to be up on the screen, but you can look it up yourself, Psalm 143, verse 10. David is writing. He says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. That's a great place to be. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Can you say that this morning? Hmm? Lord, I want to know your will. I really do. Teach me, Lord, your will uh, for my life. So number one in your notes, let's jump in. Give your boss the Jesus treatment. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Now, right off the bat, when Paul is is, uh, kind of changing topics coming off Uh, parenting and fathers. Now he's shifting to employee, employer. Off the top, he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now, how many of us get a kick out of that? I wake up every morning when I go to work. On my way, I'm thinking, Lord, this is a great opportunity for me to obey my boss. I'm so excited. Anybody here? And say, that's me, that's me. Maybe this morning you are already getting out your Thomas Jefferson scissors from the drawer and you're going to cut that out of your Bible because, man, I do not want to obey my boss. I'm done with that. You know, I'm done with that. I, I'm gonna, I get to pick and choose what I want to obey and this, I'm not going to obey my boss. Do you know how he talks to me? You know how she treats me? It's not right. Well... Paul is challenging you and I this morning that we need to obey our bosses. It's interesting that the word obey in verse 5 here is the same word obey in verse 1, where it says, children, obey your parents. Same word. And slaves, obey your earthly masters. Interesting, huh? So as a child, here it is, as a child... You and I can learn this, and I can tell you what, the earlier you learn it as a human being, the better off you are. We talked about the the chain of authority that God has established. As a child, your parents are representative of Jesus in the home. When you get a job, your boss is the representative of Jesus in your environment. When you get pulled over for speeding, the police officer is the representative of Jesus Christ. And you can say, man, that is so cool when you get pulled over, you know? (laughs) Tell the cop, hey, man, thank you. Thank you for pulling me over. You know, God set you in that position. I am so excited. (laughs) 
Well, the sooner we get a grip on that, that God establishes all authority, when Paul writes this in verse 5, it should do something like, yeah, it's another opportunity for me to obey. And I'm good with that. Because I learned it as a little person, you know, with my parents. And when I went, when I went to school, I learned that from my teacher. And when I got my first job, I learned it. And all the way through life, you're, you're going to be facing that. So Paul, Paul is addressing that in a very strong way. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever you do, do well. Instead of cutting corners, instead of cheating in your work environment, you know, doing less than good, your best, you become mediocre. No, this says whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. And so this, this attitude, you know, I'm just going to get through the day, I'm waiting to get paid and I'm good, you know, this mindset. Well, there's an article that was entitled, 10 Things to Say if, if You're Caught Napping at Your Desk at Work. I'm only going to read two. Maybe you can identify that. Ten things to say. First one, they told me at the blood bank this might happen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Another one, this this is just a 15-minute power nap like they raved about in that management course you sent me to. (laughs) I don't know if you pick it up, but it's kind of like they're blaming, you know. If you're caught, you blame. That's that's a good way to get out of it. Well, that's that's not the best way. That's not the best way. So um, the day America told the truth, the book um, reports that only one in four workers say they give their best efforts. 25% of the workforce say they do their very best at work. How does that compare to you? Hmm? Most admit to spending 20% of their time goofing off at work. Almost half of American workers admit to calling in sick when they're not sick. You know what's sad about it is that studies show Christian workers to be about just as guilty as this kind of behavior as those that don't claim Christ. When you call in sick and you're not sick, that's lying, friend. A person of integrity wouldn't do that. A person who represents the kingdom of God would not do that. See, Paul's drilling down here, friend. He's drilling down because that's where we live today. Everybody else calls in sick, so I get to call. No, what's the Bible say? Hmm? So this mindset that I can just goof off at work and, you know, do a half-hearted job because everybody else does that at work and I'm going to do that. Paul's raising the bar this morning. And um, it's important that we, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we go against the flow of what culture says we should be doing and acting. Colossians 3.22, uh, kind of a parallel. Church in Colossae, they had slaves and masters as well. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. What? What's Paul driving at here? Paul knows human nature. He's seen it over the years where people will be goofing off and when the boss is coming down the hall, all of a sudden they clean their desk and they get serious and they start getting into what they should be doing, you know? Because they want to impress the boss. But when the boss is watching, they work wholeheartedly. When he's not looking, she looking, they... Goof off. How's how's that 
working for you? Well, Paul is saying as a, as a representative of Christ, that should not be happening, right? And of course, bosses have solved that problem today because they have cameras everywhere. <laughs> They're spying on you. And the, Paul's point, um, which, which is kind of interesting because we, we serve uh, our bosses as we would serve Christ. The boss represents Christ. So we know even though Jesus, we, we can't see him physically, he sees everything, and he knows everything. So who are we kidding, right? That's what Paul is saying. Let's, let's raise the bar as followers of Christ. Let's do our very best. Why? Because in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus is speaking. It's red letter in your Bibles. It says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. What is Jesus talking about? When you go to work, you are the light. You are light. Don't put it under a bushel, a basket, a a lampshade. Put the light out there. Be a person of integrity. Be a model employee. That's what Paul is saying. That's honoring to the Lord. So, number two. After we settle that, I'm going to obey my boss, because that's honoring to the Lord. Number two, whistle while you work. And for all you Disney fans out there today, this is all for you. Um, um, back in the day, when, uh, when I was a kid... We would watch Disney and, and occasionally, and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you know. And, and so the song, Just Whistle While You Work. Some of you may have that memorized. And cheerfully together we can tidy up the place, so hum a merry tune. It won't take long when there's a song to help you set the pace, and as you sweep the room, imagine that the broom is someone that you love, And soon you'll find you're dancing to the tune. When hearts are high, the time will fly, so whistle while you work. That's almost the chorus we could sing in church. Because because when you're at work and you have been listening to worship music, you you can whistle in your head the worship song to the Lord, you know? That's happened to you. The song that you were listening to on the way to work, it's in your head. And so when things are grim at work, you whistle while you work spiritually. Why? Because Christ is there. Christ has put his hand on you and he said, I'm sending you into that environment. So whistle while you work. Just like the dude who cleaned the portage on, he whistled while he worked. And it got the, the attention of the construction crew. Do you see it? That's the picture that Paul is presenting to you and to me. That when we go to work, we should be a difference maker. Howard Hendricks was a uh, Bible professor, Christian author. Talks about the time when one of his flights was delayed, which happens quite often. When you fly. He said, I, I kind of noticed how the passengers started becoming irritable and taking their frustrations out on the flight attendants, you know, as the delay became longer. But he said, I noticed one of the flight attendants was different than the rest. She, um, she just seemed different. And so after the flight took off and the flight attendant had a break, he said, I, I called her over and said, I, I want to write a letter of commendation to the airline to tell them what a good job you did in this tough situation. And she responded to Howard by saying, I don't work for the airline, I work for Jesus Christ. This morning before I left for work, my husband and I prayed that I would be able to serve Christ at my job. This woman in a tough 
environment, she used her job to serve Christ by modeling his character. Isn't that cool? And, and that's what Paul is, is calling you and I to do the same. That we whistle while we work. So point one, working is God's will, verse six. Try to please them all the time, not just when you're, they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Um, once again, uh, you, don't, you don't snap out of it when your boss is coming, he's watching. In other words, those eight hours, you're working hard. You, you're, you're putting in a full day's work. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. Why? Because God is always at work. He's always at work. And he wants to break through the crust of sin and self, selfishness in our lives. And so that's why it's God's will. God's will is to conform you into the image of God. It's God's will for you to work. Have you noticed? God's given you talents, abilities. And um, when, you, when you plug those in, there, there's a, a sense of satisfaction and God's hand of blessing upon your life. That's God's will. God is the one who gave you that job. God is the one who's given you that gift. And some of you this morning might poo-poo the idea that, well, what about the dude who cleans the porta johns Listen, listen, that man was a missionary on that construction site. That is not the bottom of the totem pole. That's very high in the eyes of God. Whatever you do, you do it with excellence. And so um, and the thing is that obedience in the workplace can be used by God. When we say yes to God, I will obey my boss because it makes you and I more Christ-like in the process. See, that's God's will, to become more Christ-like. So let's say yes to that. Yeah. Yes, Lord, we'll, we'll do that. It's God's will. Number two, work enthusiastically. Verse seven, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul, Paul kind of, he turns another corner. Not only is, is God there, you know, you're serving Christ, but instead of looking at your boss or your company that you're working for, you're actually working for the Lord because God owns everything. And so it's not the company that's giving you the paycheck. God is behind that. He's giving you the paycheck. And you work with enthusiasm. Do you go to work enthusiastically? Let me go back. We back up just a moment to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs again. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work I go. I know, some of you are offended, you know. Hey, that's a little kid's song. I'm an adult. I'm an adult. I'm old. I'm an old crusty dude, you know. Hey, maybe we need a little kid in us again, you know. Be enthusiastic. Man, it's an opportunity. I'm going go, to go work for Jesus again. How cool is that? Man, I'm fired up. God's going to use me today. I'm bringing his light into this place. So a young woman was asked, you know, what she did for a job, and she replied, I'm a follower of Christ, very skillfully disguised as a machine operator. See that? Yes. Yes, indeed. What I find interesting is working enthusiastically, when you look at the life of Joseph in Genesis... His brother sold him into slavery, and whatever he did, wherever he was, he worked enthusiastically. How do you know that? Because Potiphar promoted Joseph. He was a slave, and, and Potiphar basically said, you're going to run my whole household. Everything, everything that's going around, my property, my businesses, everything around here, Joseph, you're the man. Why? Because Joseph proved himself to be a hard worker, to be a man of integrity, who didn't cut quarters, who wasn't like, oh man, I'm just a slave here, you know, I'm not going to do my very best. Joseph 
took the high road and he said, God's put me here for a purpose, even as a slave. Even in prison, he, Joseph took the high road and he did his best to honor the guards and the guards promoted him. You see? God's blessing is behind that when you go into the opportunity of working and serving enthusiastically. It's bigger than you. It's about the kingdom of God. So, work enthusiastically. A story about a, uh, a man who owned a drugstore and, man, he hated his job. Can you imagine that? You own a drugstore and you hate your job. What are you going to do about it? Well, he talked to himself and said, you know what? I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life if I hate it, so I'm going I'm to challenge myself to strive for excellence with the delivery of the prescriptions that are called in. So he challenged himself. So in the effort to get the prescriptions to his customers as soon as possible, he came up with this strategy. When a customer who lived nearby would call in an order on the telephone, the man would repeat the order audibly so his assistant that was right by him could hear the prescription being called in. That prescription was being filled while the customer was calling it in. So when the prescription had been completed, the delivery boy was handed off with, with the prescription. So the, the owner of the drugstore still call, talking to the customer. Okay, okay, we'll have, that, we'll have that prescription to you very, very soon. So he would hear the doorbell ring on the customer's house. And the customer would say, hold on, I got somebody calling at the front door. So he, they put the phone down, she go to the front door, boom, there's the prescription. Woo, baby, that was fast. So they come back to the phone and say, man, how did, how did you get that prescription to me so fast? And word got around the neighborhood, the community. Man, that drugstore, they really get on it when you call in a prescription. Well, soon Charles R. Walgreen, founder of Walgreen Drugstore Empire, had more business than he could handle. Why? Because he found the joy of accomplishment in work that he had once despised because he strove to do the best that he possibly could do. See that? He made it fun. He made it enjoyable because he did his best. There you have it. So all the Walgreen fans out there, there you go. I know we have a lot of Walgreen employees at Life Church, so that's just for you. Number three, work has eternal benefits. Verse 8, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Remember the Lord, that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Um, The work you do has a source of compensation. That's what Paul's talking about. Whatever good anybody does, it's going to come back on them. It's kind of like what you sow, you're going to reap. That's the principle. Remember that the Lord will reward you. Maybe you feel like you're being underpaid at work. Maybe you feel like your boss doesn't recognize all that you do, all the hard work. You're unnoticed. You know, you're in some corner somewhere. Paul is saying, do not make excuses. Don't rationalize why you can pull back on your effort at work. Instead, remind yourself, because he says, remember, remember that the Lord will reward you. What? The Lord's watching. He's there. You're working for him. He's representative of the boss. That's the key point. The work has eternal benefits. There's even something greater than that, friend. Not only will the Lord reward you, but the Lord has strategically placed you in the position where you work on purpose. For an example, Jamie Winship tells a story about his police career. 
when he became a police officer and knowing that, you know, becoming a police officer, you often deal with people who are faced with extreme crises from time to time. And he also had a, just a real, um, real compassion for people and to have the opportunity to tell them about his faith in Jesus Christ. One of the first colleagues that he talked to about Jesus at work was a, a tough sergeant who had been on the street for a long time, man. And he was tough and calloused. And so Winship said, I was barely able to tell him I was a Christian before he interrupted and asked what kind of a police officer I would be. And startled kind of by that question, I said, I didn't know yet. And the sergeant said, neither do I. And when and if you prove yourself to be a good cop, then you can come talk to me about God. That was the challenge. Well, Winship said after the second year of being a police officer, he was named Officer of the Year. And the police department had a ceremony to celebrate that great day. Winship got up and he credited his superiors for the great training and he explained that he wore the uniform every single day to, as service to Jesus Christ. And following the event, the sergeant, the tough guy, congratulated him and he said, now come talk to me about Jesus. You see, the problem is, it, it happens so often, it's so... You, you go into the work environment and God has followers of Christ planted everywhere on purpose to do this very thing. But followers of Christ seem to send a mixed message, you know? They follow what everybody else is doing. They criticize their boss and they whine and complain about the work environment and it isn't fair, see? So who wants to hear your story about Jesus when you're part of the crew, man? Huh? Paul's talking about that. This is eternal benefits. Somebody's soul is at risk. And we should be taking the high road by modeling the character of Christ. Mm. Number three, bosses um, give your employees the Jesus treatment. So you notice Paul starts out with the employee giving the boss the Jesus treatment. Now he flips the bottle. Bosses, now you give your employees the Jesus treatment. Verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So your relationship, Paul is saying, if you're the boss, if you're the master at work, your relationship with Christ should make you the best employer on the job. That's the way it should be. Christian bosses, Paul is saying, you're going to answer to the Lord one day on how you treated your employees. And I, I'll, I'm going to, I had a conversation with somebody a couple days ago. Uh, we were talking about jobs, and I, uh, this young man is a... a, a Mason laborer. He makes the mortar. He moves the brick. And I said, I used to do that back in the day. And he said, did you like it? I said, I hated it. I hated it because my boss, the owner of the company, was a Christian. And he promised me over and over again he would get me more help. I was the lone laborer. You know, scaffolding, mortar, brick, all, keeping up with all that by yourself. I tell you what, it was, I hated it. I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night going, I'd get my violin out. Not whistle while you work, moan while you're thinking about going to work, you know. And, you know, I said, hey, I, you, yeah, I'm going to get you more. Never happened, you know. I hated it. He was a Christian, and I saw him, you know, when he was outside, away from the job site, he was a great dude, but when, you, when he got on the scaffolding, he kind of turned into a monster, you know? Ah! See, that, 
this is everything that Paul is, is, is talking about. How is it? How is it? How's it going? So we need to care about our employees. Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's, once appeared on the cover of their annual report. He was dressed in a work apron and he held a mop and a plastic bucket. And he was asked to describe that photograph. He says, I got my MBA long before my GED. At Wendy's, MBA does not mean master of business administration. It means mop bucket attitude. Dave Thomas got his MBA from following the model of his master, Jesus Christ, see? Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. And um, that's what it's all about. Caring about your employees. Um, you know, Christian bosses don't submit to the, the orders of the employees. You know, that, that's not what Paul's talking about. But they do submit themselves to the employee's good. They care about their employees. Um, Truett Cathy, you know, founded Chick-fil-A. He writes this. I've become convinced that one of the least talked about elements of leadership for business leaders is the area of pastoral ministry. You don't read that in management books, but it's something I'm trying to learn. We naturally tend to think about things like strategic responsibility, strategic planning, and visioneering, and all the other roles of leaders that are very important. From my experience, I learned that a key role is pastoral ministry. In other words, making hospital visits to employees, attending funerals, and one-on-one counsel when people take the opportunity to ask. Also, as leaders... We have the responsibility of being prepared to share with employees our personal testimony, hopefully even leading someone to Christ, having prayer with them, or whatever else is needed. I'm becoming convinced that's all part of effective Christian leadership in the workplace today. Isn't that incredible? But but that's not the end. He says, I've kept a little New Testament with me all the time. From a very practical standpoint, I'm keeping that Bible in my left pocket and just hoping and praying that God will keep me flexible and alert to the opportunities that I have during the day to read a verse of Scripture and, where possible, to share it. You see it? Hmm. Caring about your employees. Being a pastor at work. What a model. What a model. Number two, we serve the same master. Paul's not trying to overturn the worldwide empire of Rome, you know, with the slave labor. But what he's doing is he's applying Christ's principles on how we think and how we act in the system. We need to remember what Paul is saying is that we serve the same God. The same God. Employers, employees, we're on level ground when it comes to having a relationship with Christ. You know? No no shortcuts for the employer, you know? No poo-pooing the employee. You're just a no, 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 no. When we come before God, we're all on the same level ground. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Yeah. Just like when you think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world, that whoever, not just the employers, whoever, anybody, everybody, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's incredible. That's what Christianity is all about. We serve the same master. Number three, the master has no favorites. Some of you are heartbroken right now. Doggone it! I thought I was God's favorite. I thought my picture was on his refrigerator. God has no favorites. He loves everybody the same. No favorites. You know, we try to position ourselves, you know, ah, man, I'm so spiritual. 
Doesn't impress God at all. No favorites. I think missionary C.T. Studd had the right perspective. This man was very wealthy. Could have had an easy life, but instead he gave it all away. He gave all the money away and went to Africa, other countries, and became like those that he was serving. And he said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Something about that. When you go to work, there's eternal consequences that have been presented to you. You should take full advantage of it. Because when you go to work, you can be like Kathy Truitt, looking for opportunities to pray with someone, to tell someone about Christ, to read a verse to somebody. A Gallup poll recently found that 50% of those interviewed in the for-profit world and 51% in the not-for-profit world said they were not engaged at their jobs at all. What, what, what does that mean? That means they show up to work, they do their work, they perform their duties, but they have absolutely no passion for their job. Isn't it sad? No passion for their job. God is calling you and I to be on a mission with him. When we go to work, he's coming with us. Yeah. He strategically placed you where you are on purpose as he goes to work with you. There should be passion behind that. I, I have to tell you, you know, um, I, I've, been, I've been in the ministry for a long time, and I am passionate about what I do. I, I hope you can sense that. This is not, I'm not going through motions, and it's not a game, and it's not, you know, I can hardly wait till I retire. I'm not wasting time. I love my job. I love what I do. God is saying, and Paul is saying, that you don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be a missionary for the calling of God. God has called you where you are. He's gifted you with gifts and talents on purpose for where you are to make a difference. Yeah. We're all working together pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so this, this stuff, you know, no passion, we need to ask God to forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for not being passionate about this job that you gave me. And working at it enthusiastically. Emma Daniel Gray died on June 8, 2009 at the age of 95. On the office records where she worked, she had the title that read, Charwoman. The Washington Post did a story about her when she died. For 24 years, she was the charwoman for six different U.S. presidents. Each day, she dusted the office of the President of the United States. What made Emma Gray even more interesting was that she was a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? She took full advantage of it. She would stand and pray over the president's chair every time she dusted it. Left hand, the dust cloth. Right hand, Lord, I pray your blessing on our president. I pray that you will give him wisdom. I pray that you will protect him. I pray that you will bless him. Dusting a chair. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do or say, cleaning porta johns, dusting the president's chair, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. How's that going? How's that working out for you? If you're part of the crew at work that whines and complains about your boss, 
about your work conditions. You need to, you need to repent. Huh? Huh? Lord, I'm sorry. I have, when I look at what Paul's writing here, man, I, I need some help, Lord. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you for one thing to change when you go to work tomorrow morning? One thing. Right where you're at right now, just pause and ask, Spirit of God, show me the one thing that I can tweak to model you better at work tomorrow. Yeah, he's speaking. Lord, we pray this morning as you speak. That we'll listen. And we have been robbing not only you, Lord, but we've been robbing ourselves of your blessing, of being a blessing when we go to work. We, we've, taken, we've taken the easy way. We've taken the way everybody else is doing it. And we realize this morning when we compare ourselves to what Paul wrote, man, we come up short. So forgive us, Lord. Because there are eternal consequences. There are eternal benefits. Every day when we go to work, Lord, we don't want, as followers of Christ, to be a bad example, a poor example of who you are and how our attitudes may stink and how our actions don't model the character of Christ. But I think of the man who cleaned the Porta Johns, and I think of Emma Gray who dusted the president's chair, Lord. May we do everything with excellence because we're doing it for you and because of you. It's all because of you, Lord. And so we ask that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, will help us even to prepare ourselves ahead of time for tomorrow morning man it's going to be a great day with your help and so I pray your blessing on every person in this room this morning Lord that we will take it seriously the opportunities you've given to us as we go to work the eternal benefits to it Jesus, it's all about you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.